everybody. Welcome to this month's episode of the Female Film Critics Panel. And today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, we have Claire from W Rated Podcast here. And thank you so much, Claire, for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to be here. Yeah, this is really cool because we already had your co-host Daisy on. Yes. And, uh, so this is a great chance to get to know you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Get the pair, tick off both boxes. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, why don't you start, tell us a little bit about yourself and and uh, how did you first develop a love of film? What was kind of a, a, an important part for you growing up about learning to yeah. love movies? So uh, I'm originally from London. I'm currently based in Dublin. Uh, I like to hop around a bit. Um, originally based in London and I've kind of always had a love of stories. So when I was very little, I was mad into reading and that kind of then moved over into TV. I got like very into things like Buffy and Charmed and all of those shows uh, during my age. And <laughs> then um, that when I got older, kind of again, transformed into film, um, kind of the catalyst for that again, such a like mid thirties millennial. I saw Sack Braff's Garden State and it just made me be like, that's a movie. That's what I want to do, which is really embarrassing because I won't mm -hmm. even rewatch it now because I'm sure it is so pretentious and really probably not very good but like 14 year old me just thought that was like the pinnacle of filmmaking of storytelling of romance which one <laughs> garden state oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Ah, uh, the joy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so from there, I went and um, studied film production at university. And after leaving university, I decided that the film industry was um, a tough biz. So rather than sleeping on people's sofas for the rest of my life, I converted my degree into a teaching degree. Um, and I taught film for about five years, uh, film, media, kind of the whole shebang. Then I again decided I didn't like that, which is a pattern with me. Um, so after I left teaching, I was kind of at a bit of a loss because I just went into kind of um, administration, boring office corporate work. But I just had all of this knowledge of film, all of this love for film. And I got so used to my every day for like seven, eight, nine years talking about film and so that's kind of how I stumbled into online film criticism and um, I started off writing for a website called FanFest News which was a combination of news a combination of listicles um, and then some reviews and from there I went on to write for CineChat for CRP Rights Film Stories and then connected with Daisy and we started our podcast um and now I'm kind of bobbing around um I've taken a bit of a like an impromptu sabbatical from writing for the last year because I started a new job and I moved to a new country but the passion is still there and it's been really interesting since you invited me on to talk like all I've had in my head is like, oh, maybe I should do some more writing and maybe I should look into Dublin Film Festival. And like you kind of like re-sparked the very dwindling oh, flame. <laughs> do you remember the first movie that you ever saw in the theatres? Uh, the Flintstones, 1994, John okay. Goodman. It's one of my favourite films still. It's a running joke on W-Rated, our podcast, because we watch the 100 worst movies ever made according to IMDb users 
that we do look at things like cinema score and Rotten Tomatoes when we talk about them. And the majority of the films we've covered so far have a higher audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes than the Flintstones does. So it's oh. now, it's become like an, an, a running joke about how angry I am <laughs> about this. <laughs> That's funny. How old were you? Do you when you Four. saw it, do you remember? Four. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I don't I don't remember much of it. I remember the cinema, um, because the cinema still exists, Greenwich in London. My dad took me and I just remember screaming at the kind of big finale where they kidnap Pebbles and Bam Bam and they have them tied up and they're going to be crushed. And mm-hmm. I remember screaming at that bit. I remember being really scared <laughs> and my dad being quite annoyed. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Were you were your parents in the film? Were they film buffs? Not- not mass, definitely not film buffs. Um, my mum enjoys films, but she wouldn't be a film buff at all. Um, my dad, who sadly passed away, he loved horror movies. He was really into horror movies. He was actually um, a book trader. Um, so he was, again, he got me into the love of stories um, mm. and got me into film, uh, got me into books. And then he was the one that got me into Buffy and things like that. Mm. Um, so I've spoken before in the past, he had like a shelf of all of his favorite movies in our old house of all of his VHSs and I really want to try and find like an old photo of it and see if I can figure out what the films were because I know I've seen oh. some of them like from dusk till dawn I know he loved interview of a vampire like he was mad into vampires and um, Salem's Lot is the next one on my list that I need to see because I know he loved that so yeah um oh, that would be fun you should do that yeah yeah, yeah, that's kind of a mission. I need to get my mom to get this suitcase of photographs out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you do you remember him taking you to a horror movie? No, he never did take me to one, but I do remember <laughs> he um let me I think it was again when I got really into Buffy, he sat down with me and watched Fright Night. He was like, I think you'll really like Fright Night, the original. Um mm-hmm. and then I was always allowed to have loads of sleepovers. So he'd always like get out some of the movies for my sleepovers and just leave them on the table. And he'd be like, Right, you can maybe try <laughs> Carrie, you can maybe try these. Like I know he loved Carrie, and Carrie is one of my favorite movies now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the sleepover that he left Carrie on the table for us. Like my friend, I've been friends with her since she was six years old. She's still mad about it. Like she's still scared of that film. <laughs> That's funny. He's like, hint, hint, you could watch yeah. these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm just going to leave a selection. I think he was more worried that we'd pick something too scary. So he was like, right, these are a little bit grown up for you, but they're suitable level of grown up. Please don't pick the like 18 where someone probably was really cut open. Like, mm-hmm. Just go for the Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I have a lot of memories of watching movies with my friends uh sleepover mm-hmm. kind of situations uh most of them was not at my not at my house because yeah. uh because my my parents were pretty picky about what we watched which mm-hmm. yeah I totally understand um <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah like something like Dirty Dancing my mom, mother would never have let uh, watch. I mean just see, the title alone my mom- and <laughs> and the fact there's an abortion I mean they mm-hmm. in it you know things like it's it's actually um a more grown-up movie than uh than I think is given credit for the, absolutely some of the I- themes that it it uh, and I I think it does it well I as an adult, I, I appreciate what it does, but um, I do think it's kind of looked at as this fluffy movie, but when we actually watch it, it's not. 
It's the exact same with Greece. I remember being yeah, allowed yeah. to watch Greece, and Greece used to be on like every bank holiday in England. Greece would be on the telly at around three o'clock, and you'd be off school, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I'll watch Greece." Remember yeah. the first time I watched it as an adult? I was like, "Oh God, like this is very there's like some inappropriateness with like student teacher relationships. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like pressure to have sex. There's the gang stuff. Then there's you know the potential abortion pregnancy storyline. It's yeah. like." Oh, wow. This is not, I think, a film that should have been on at three o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But yeah, I think there's like a certain type of early 90s rom-com that I really associate with like sleepover movies, you know, whether it's like girls just want to have fun or um, dirty dancing, cutting edge Mm. would be one for sure. (laughs) Those kinds of movies. I love them. My parents are not uh movie people at all uh my uh I, it was just funny actually yesterday I was talking uh to my dad because he was like maybe I want to go see that avatar movie and uh, <laughs> which I I enjoyed the avatar movie but I'm like it's do you understand it's over three hours mm-hmm. you'd be in the theater for over <laughs> three hours he's like oh whoa I went in with like a shopping bag of supplies. I was like, this is three hours of my life. Bought in like a two liter bottle of drink. Like, or I barely touched it because I was actually really engrossed in the film, but I was completely, I was like, I don't know if I can last three hours. (laughs) Yeah. I tell people, I'm like, during the, there's, during the sort of military part in the middle, that's where you take your bathroom break. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I I enjoyed it too. Yeah. My dad maybe sees, uh, sees, you know, two movies a year, maybe. Mm. I mean, he just, he's, it's just not his, his favorite medium. Uh, and, but one thing my parents were really good about, even though they weren't really into movies that much, my mom's much more of a reader than she mm-hmm. is a, a media consumer. Um, <laughs> but my mom is really good about, uh, asking questions and making sure we were, we were engaged in what we were oh. watching. And so I thought, I think that was something that she did, uh, so she would, she didn't want us just to mindlessly consume content. Mm-hmm. She wanted us to think about it. Like, and so, uh, you know, she'd say, what, what is it that you liked about it? Why was it good? What, what, you know, what did you like about the story? What did you, whatever. And we would talk about it. And it was funny. Cause I thought that that's just how like every family was no. <laughs> and, uh, when I, uh, when I went to college, uh, I, uh, we went, my friends and I went and saw the movie Chocolat and mm. I, I didn't actually care for it at the time. I haven't seen it since then, but I didn't care for it. And I'm, you know, uh, we're driving home and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. What about this? And what about this theme and how they talked about religion in the movie, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and my friend looked at me and she says, Rachel, we just wanted to enjoy the movie. <laughs> And I was so shocked. Oh, I love when people ask me when I come out of a movie. I like, I would have loved that. I'm like, yeah, let, let's discuss. <laughs> yeah. To me, that was like part of the fun of it. Yeah. You know, it's just it, talk about it. And, and, uh, and I, it just kind of hit me that like, oh, not everybody's like that. <laughs> it was raised with a mom who was like, what what did you take philosophically from the story what were they trying to say what were that's the political such themes a lovely, you know that's so lovely though such a lovely habit like yeah. I, I wish more people were like that I wish my parents had been like that but for us like tv was the pacifier like there's three of you you're annoying me I need to make dinner please go and sit in front of the television 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because my, you know, my parents were, I guess, more a conservative, but they also let us make our choices, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they, they were an interesting mixture of that. Um, and, uh, we, we would watch every Sunday night, my brother and I would watch the Simpsons. And, and cause that was like that time from like 96 to 2000 was like amazing. Peak, yeah. Peak Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, cause I graduated from high school. Well, I finished high school in 98 actually. Uh, but I finished living at home at 90, 99 mm-hmm. anyway. And, uh, and that was kind of unusual. A lot of people in sort of my parents circle thought that it was a bad show or sort of scandalous mm. or whatever. And my mom thought that it was a smart show. She's like, the writing is smart. It's, it's funny. It's a good, sh- you know, it's she not could see show, the but- satire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my brother and I did almost nothing together. We had almost no shared interests. We we're like night and day. The two of us are very, very different, but the, that was something we both enjoyed. So I, I think as parents, you kind of have to pick your battles and you say, okay, if they're enjoying something together, I'm not going to fight that one. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's, that's similar to me. Like I didn't, I didn't get on with, I've got two brothers, but one's a good bit older, Mm -hmm. but my brother that's close in age, we didn't get on that much, but for whatever reason, like my dad, my dad knew the original Buffy film and he was really into her vampires. So he feels like in that show that he thought for my young daughter, she'll really enjoy that. But then yeah. he got my brother into it as well. And so the three of us pretty much every Thursday night would all sit the three of us and watch it together and talk about it. Um, and so then we didn't have cable at that time. And so you had to wait like six, seven, eight, nine months for it to get to the kind of mainstream TV. And so one year for Christmas, my dad was like, we're getting cable. He was like, I want Buffy. The kids want Buffy. We all want to watch it together and my mom was so annoyed because she was like the primary earner and she was like please don't make me spend my money on cable so you can all watch a silly vampire show but we were like it's family time yeah it really is (laughs) (laughs) and you know my dad he does have particular movies that he loves like he loves breaking away I don't know if you've ever seen that no yeah it's this bicycle uh it's about these teens that are super into cycling it was in the 80s it's pretty funny it's pretty well written I think I'd even got nominated for best screenplay I I'm pretty sure yeah he loves that he loves uh my left foot Mm -hmm. um with Daniel Day-Lewis which is is a you know really good movie um and you know what's funny too is that whenever my dad uh goes on a plane he mm-hmm. always picks the weirdest movies to watch. <laughs> I was just like, what? Uh, like he, the other the other day, he had watched Taken, the original Taken. Oh and I'm like, yeah. I, I I've actually never seen it, but uh, I'm like, Dad, that's an R-rated film. Why did you, uh, you know, why did you pick that? And because uh, they are, you know, more on the conservative side. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just funny. Did he enjoy it? Yeah, I think he did. I think he loved oh. it. <laughs> that's funny (laughs) uh but but yeah uh that was kind of how I got my uh Mm -hmm. introduction and the first movie that I really remember I'm I'm sure I'd been to other films but the one that like sticks out Mm -hmm. was going to see The Little Mermaid uh when I was my favorite Disney film me too it's one of my favorites and uh and I it's still just I think had 
it had such an influence on me. It was the first music I ever really loved. It was the first movie I ever really loved. Uh, my sister and I would sing the songs uh, at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we figured we both, we'd have competitions to see who sounded the most like Ariel. And, uh, <laughs> I still absolutely love and adore it. Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to Family Movie Night, female film critics panels, or the Talking Disney podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. As a patron, you get to access monthly events such as the watch-alongs and Q&As, where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for Family Movie Night or even become a guest on the podcast. Podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive and I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. About this um, live action remake that's coming out. I'm in two minds about it because outside of the jungle book i've not enjoyed any of the kind of newer films and part of that was i'd actually never seen the original jungle book so i think yeah. that was so much easier for that film to win me over and also i really enjoyed john favreau as a director um, i went back and watched the original cartoon jungle book then and loved it and so i feel like i have room for both of them in my heart whereas beauty and the beast and aladdin they just didn't work for me at all yeah lion king i enjoyed because animals are cute but it's not well made and it's not a good idea and but i was like oh look at the fluffy fluffy tiger or lion even (laughs) and so there was nothing to keep me going whilst in the cinema but i was like would never entertain it again my hope with the little mermaid because obviously there's a representation element to it and for me, it sounds really pathetic, but like I was a young redheaded girl and there aren't that many redheaded people. And I grew up in the UK rather than yeah. Ireland where there's even less. So for me growing up, Ariel was one of the only redheaded people that I could aspire to. And like I remember my parents were so mean. So in the UK, Ariel is a brand of laundry detergent. So I said that I I wanted to change my name to Ariel. I was like five. And they said, oh, Ariel, why don't we call you Daz, which is an alternate laundry detergent. So then for like two days, they just went around and called me Daz. And I was like, that's so mean. I just want to be a mermaid. Why are you torturing me? Um, So like that was such an important feature for me growing up and for me seeing myself represented that I can completely see how this new version could do the same for so many young black women and young black children. So in that element, I'm like, that's awesome. I wish that they could get that representation from a new story and not change an old one because I think it'd be better for them. I think it like, and, and better for the film industry. Like I wish we had more original stories and I wish that Hollywood especially would take on original stories from marginalized communities but unfortunately I think trying to get a film with that budget starring a young black woman Disney's the only company that's going to have the money to do that and they're not going to take the gamble on a new story 
So yeah, I like, mean, they tried uh, a couple times, but they just had the their their live action department, aside from the remakes, have has been pretty dismal as far as yeah. box office. I mean, and, they tried with Wrinkle in Time. I mean, to and do that, that should have worked, but because I saw that, and it just I can't tell you why it didn't, but it didn't. No. It, yeah. it well, I think that they took away a lot of the the meat uh, of the uh, of the novel. Um, they made it. I felt like they turned it into a bunch of like, it was like a yoga retreat video instead <laughs> of like real. Like they they tried too hard to kind of secularize it. I think and make it kind mm-hmm. of bland. Um, but yeah, it had all the ingredients. It should yeah. have been a, a a good movie. But but they've tried a couple times. But yeah, I mean, especially sci-fi. It was interesting mm-hmm. with um, uh, what was it? The movie that they had, but. Pretty much Disney sci-fi have been nothing but but complete flops. Tomorrowland is always the big one because they spent so much money on that. And I love Britt Robertson, so I was really excited yeah. for that film. I think I enjoy that more than most people, but it isn't good. Like, yeah, I can understand why other people don't like it. John Carter. Mm. Um, I mean, there's just... it Going all the way back to, like, the black hole in the 70s. Yeah. Like, they just have nothing but flops in sci-fi. <laughs> they should stop. <laughs> They really should. But but yeah, I agree with you about uh, the live action remakes. I have liked very few of them, especially Mm -hmm. this last um, Pinocchio I thought was absolutely atrocious. I didn't even try with Pinocchio or Mulan. I think I just was like, done, checked out. Yeah, it was embarrassing. It Mm -hmm. it really was. And uh, especially for somebody like Robert Zemeckis to Mm. sunk solo, uh, it's, it's just sad. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's been a few I liked. I like Pete's dragon, uh, mm-hmm. with Dave, cause David Lowry, he's just a very interesting director. And the fact that he managed to make that movie with Disney and still feel like a David Lowry movie, mm-hmm. I think is really impressive. Yeah. Um, and I don't really love the original Pete's dragon. So mm-hmm. that's probably part of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I did like Cinderella because, I think with Cinderella, I'm, I am not as emotionally tied to the original. I love the animated classic. I think it's amazing, but there's been so many different versions of Cinderella Mm -hmm. over the years that I also love. So I'm just sort of more open to all these different interpretations. I'm not as tied to the Disney one. Like I love ever after and slipper in the rose and Mm -hmm. so many different versions. Uh, and I thought that it, that one was pretty well done, but, uh, but yeah, and that's about it. (laughs) <laughs> see unfortunately i i can't get on the cinderella bandwagon because um i really dislike lily james as an uh, actress and i really hate kenneth branner as a director so that film just <laughs> i tried but no well he can be he is very hit and miss like i thought he did a terrible job directing death on the nile oh i, I didn't even he... bother <laughs> i i i tried belfast i liked belfast yeah, i belfast did not love good. i found it to be very overrated because mm. i saw it specifically for because it was nominated for an oscar and i was talking about Oscars. right um i thought it was lovely i thought it was a really interesting story but i didn't think it was in any way groundbreaking i didn't think it was any way anywhere near the best no. film i had seen of the year um i but, enjoyed like, it but competent- i I felt like my biggest problem with Belfast was I felt like that whole scene when he steals the the detergent 
Yeah. And then she goes back and makes him yeah. like, I'm like, there is absolutely no way that that mother would do that. Would yeah. go back to the scene of like a mob. Yeah. Like she might no start to go, but she'd get to a point where yeah. she would see the mob and be like, oh no. Yeah. That made no sense. Yeah. Uh, but, but so how did you meet Daisy and how did this whole W rated come to about? Um, so me and Daisy actually just met through Twitter during the pandemic. We were kind of in a lot of the same circles through social media. And during the pandemic, um, some people organized weekly film screenings. So every Saturday, like sometimes 10, sometimes 30 of us would all log onto our website and watch a film together and we'd have a mm-hmm. chat. And I grew closer to her through that. And so then we became just close through Twitter. And we then went to, we also would go to the Filmageddon screening things that they would do online during the pandemic. So then she um, brought up that she wanted to watch the 100 worst films ever made. And I was like, you should definitely document it, like a blog, reviews, podcast. And she was like, oh, I'd love to do a podcast, but I don't have any idea of how to do it. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do a podcast, but I've never had an idea or anyone to do it with. And we were like, oh, we could help each other. Uh, And actually, as then we became better friends through that, we learned that we went to the same school and we're from the same area. Um, She's about four or five years younger than me. So she started the school when I was kind of starting to leave my last couple of years. But yeah, grew up... um, 10 20 minutes from each other went to the same school like the and the university I was working at when we became friends she had actually gone to that university for a short time so like our paths had just been passing each other but moving together so it's really nice that we finally crossed over yeah you know that was an interesting thing about the pandemic that mm-hmm. it did provide some opportunities for friendship in a weird way yeah it provided so many opportunities not just with friendship like my my work as a film critic I was at my best during the pandemic I've I've flourished and I think that's Mm -hmm. partially why I've kind of taken that semi-sabbatical because the ease of access has dried up the availability of time for myself has dried up and yeah. and I definitely don't want to go back to the pandemic but I wish some of the things that it caused could have stayed around yeah like the online festivals mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that yeah last year I think I did eight or nine festivals <clears throat> and six of them were virtual so like it yeah. was amazing and I got to go to I went to Venice in person I went to London Film Festival in person and I went to a film festival in Bristol but it meant that I could go to South by Southwest I can't afford to go to South by Southwest by right. myself yeah. from England so yeah it is a Same shame yeah yeah I I did get I got to go to TIFF I got to uh I mean the Sundance online was really well done Mm -hmm. they still have it this year but they've been very stingy about Mm. who they didn't have that many tickets to buy and then the press uh, that they rejected me as press which I was so shocked that's Um, a shame because I'd done it the last three years and I thought mm. I had done a really good job. Like I thought my yeah. coverage was, was really solid. And yeah. Um, and I'd interviewed all the animators, even everybody who did the shorts, anyone who wow. would consent yeah. to being interviewed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just felt like who else is doing that? Who else is covering mm. the animators? So I was really surprised that they, that is surprising. I do. No. I've seen other people share similar thoughts, people that have done it two, three, four years in a row who equally got denied. Yeah. It is 
interesting I don't know I'd love to be behind the scenes and see why that decision like who's making the decision and what's the criteria yeah you think especially me being local Mm -hmm. a local female critic you think that I don't know yeah I was I was just surprised and especially doing interview coverage because there's so many people that just want to do reviews so like someone that's doing interview coverage especially like shorts coverage like they're they're not the hot tickets are they so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting so have you always been uh sort of a defender of what we'd call bad movies or is this something new you kind of developed through doing the podcast definitely something new um I would I've technically been a defender of bad movies because I just have bizarre taste and like (laughs) I'll see a film think it's brilliant log it on letterboxd or id yeah. or somewhere and then i'm like wait what 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 did you all watch why do you all hate this it's amazing um the flintstones being case in point um so yeah. there is an element of that and i've always been a very defensive of things i love and again like that's one of the things my dad taught me i went to a school that was very strict on what you were allowed to read and it really put me off reading they were like mm-hmm. these aren't good enough books you should read these kind of books and my dad was always pro like i do not care what you read as long as you're reading as long as you are experiencing other things and enjoying yourself and going into other areas that's what it's for so like for me if a film brings up an emotion in me or makes me escape the world I'm currently in I don't care what anyone else thinks I'll defend it if it's able to do that for me so then like kind of moving to the podcast it has been really interesting because it has really made me reevaluate films and it makes it one of the things that I've loved and especially from a film criticism side when I've been reviewing films at film festivals for instance you have so little time you watch the film and you've maybe yeah, got two true. hours to get your review out so you are just writing about what you saw the maybe the effect it had on you maybe the effect it had on the audience you watched it with and then you are getting that out whereas we're watching these films that are like some of them are 50 years old now and I'm able to go back and find like a wealth of things about what went on behind the scenes, what was going on in the actors' personal lives, directors' personal lives, what were the inspirations, what was going on at the studio at the time. And one of my favourite things is actually like what has happened to it since it came out. You know, it came out in 1995 and it was reviled, but then here we are 20, 30 years later and it's been completely reaccepted. So it's really made me interested in like the history side of criticism and looking at how all of these external factors can affect the critique of a film. Um, And so it's, yeah, I still, when I watch a bad film that I pay to see at the cinema and I'm grumpy about it, I'm very grumpy about it. (laughs) But when I watch a film with my podcast hat on, I'm like, okay, that's terrible, but let's see why. (laughs) Well, yeah. And sometimes the bad movies are more interesting to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'd way rather do a podcast on the prequel Star Wars movies Mm -hmm. than do one on the original series, even though I obviously much prefer the 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 original series to the prequels but I don't know I just think like it's more interesting to talk about something that doesn't work and why doesn't it work and and what did they yeah. try to do and why didn't all the things that go into it uh I mean I I I found the Hallmarkies podcast and so I cover mm-hmm. Hallmark movies which most people just dismiss uh yeah at least in the film criticism world Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh and I think a lot of that comes from a lack of respect for Mm -hmm. films that are made to appeal to women 
Yes. I, I'm not, there's a lot of bad Hallmark movies. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of good ones too. There's a lot I... of cute little rom-coms that they make and, yeah. and just a, there is definitely a general disdain that yes. any rom-com has to overcome and be like amazing in order to be treated seriously at all it has to break the mold or have yeah, an interesting yeah, yeah. twist or uh you know what is it what is it a spin on a classic and it's like yeah. maybe i like classics because yes. they're classics yeah exactly. I, I i had a complete addiction when i was about oh, 16 17 i was doing my a levels which are like your final exams before uh-huh. university found out we had the hallmark channel got completely addicted to like the true story hallmark movies oh yeah um, the, the mysteries like, yeah like my favorite one was there was one where a girl found her face on a, a missing poster on the side of a thing of milk and she was like wait that oh, looks like me yeah. and she That's... learns that she was abducted as a kid and i was like <laughs> eating it up like yes i love this and i think it's that thing there is a complete lack of respect for the films and yes to be frank they're not breaking any boundaries they are not pushing the limits they are not potentially oscar worthy they're not the best the top of the top you know they're not a michelin star but they are able normally within a very tight runtime to tell us everything we need to know about characters to everything we need to know about situations do it chip chop and have a beginning middle end in a tight package that you Mm -hmm. can just pick up and watch and and enjoy and it's a fun little story or an interesting story or a sad story people want uh, to believe in happy endings Mm -hmm. people that's i mean rom-coms are inherently hopeful yeah uh, and that's what people you know like about them and for a long time hollywood just stopped making uh making rom-coms i mean that you maybe get like one maybe an indie you know or sort of and so that's part of the thing that hallmark did that was so brilliant is Mm -hmm. particularly christmas is they saw that there was this audience that Mm -hmm. still wanted that content and they you know and they embraced it and they made them and yes of course there's lots of terrible ones but any studio makes makes terrible and good movies yeah Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's been fun for me to, I feel like kind of, uh, not only champion these little movies that they make, uh, but also interview the actors, directors, Mm. writers, when the very first interview that we ever had was with a writer named Nina Wyman, who's, uh, really great at what she does. Mm. She's so good at banter. She's so good at, uh, at writing these rom-coms and, uh, and we've had, probably 50 writers over the years because we've been doing it since 2017 and uh, that's something I'm I'm really proud of that I feel like as as a community the Hallmark Mm -hmm. fans are more aware of the writers than Mm -hmm. your typical sort of movie fandom uh that I mean aside from someone like Aaron Sorkin or somebody like that Mm -hmm. you know the people are Mm -hmm. aware of but for the most part I think a lot of fandoms aren't really that aware of the writers and it it uh, kind of strikes me as how maybe people used to be you know 10 20 years ago with network television yeah like that kind of community built around mm-hmm. writers that work together and come back consistently and so you're like oh that was by this person I loved that one yeah yeah um because I mean these movies are so banter dependent mm-hmm. and uh, so I think that in a way the writers are actually the stars of them mm-hmm. because because you can put uh almost anybody in the leads and i mean sometimes people just don't have chemistry but for the most Mm -hmm. part you can put 
almost anybody uh, in these leads and it'll be fine. Um, but it's the writing that yeah. really gets it. And, and uh, like people, when Candace Cameron Bray stopped doing uh, mm. the Hallmark movie she's doing for another channel, people were like, oh, you know, are you, you going to miss her? I'm like, not really. I mean, anybody can step <laughs> into that world. In yeah. <laughs> be fine. <laughs> I mean, if it's Lacey Chabert or Candace Cameron Bray, it's fine with me. <laughs> movies. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I feel like I kind of understand what you all do in W rated because I, I look on letterboxd and, uh, it's just these, uh, Hallmark movies, no matter, there's just some people who I'm like, why do you even watch them? Yeah, like you have these yeah. people and literally every single movie they give one star to. And I'm like, why are you watching yeah. these movies? If you pick, pick like, a different you studio, pick, yeah. You know, like you don't have to, you're not a journalist or whatever. Like, I, I guess I'd understand that. But I, these people on Letterboxd that just hate watch 100 Hallmark movies. I'm like, yeah. why? Why are you doing that? Like, I don't understand that. I, I don't either. Like, I, I'm quite like open about, I'm not really into action films. It would yeah. not be my genre whatsoever. So I've never seen a Fast and Furious film and I mm. don't watch James Bond films because I'm like, why yeah. would I, especially when I was working like as, really heavy in the film criticism when I was working for film stories um I didn't apply to go to those press junkets because yeah. I was like no one needs to read a review from me about the latest James Bond film who doesn't like James Bond and isn't a fan of the actor you don't want a review from me going yeah. this wasn't very good because I don't like this genre I'm like no yeah that's not fair it's not fair to the yeah. movie no like, I, I have been trying to kind of expand my palette as far as mm -hmm. Uh, I've been like last year I went to uh, quite a few horror movies um, I went to Scream I went to Black Phone I went to Barbarian and um, uh, and uh, Menu mm -hmm. uh, but like when I go I I I'm I'm judging it for is this a good horror movie yeah like I because that's just not fair if I'm like yeah. just against the genre and yeah. I feel like that happens all the time with romantic comedies is people Absolutely. are just you especially you have these male critics who just think romantic comedies are stupid and they go into to review them and mm -hmm. I know you can just tell that they didn't even give it a shot yeah and you, we see that a lot of W rated um, not yeah. even so much with rom-coms, but actually really things aimed at younger people so things mm -hmm. aimed at kids or things aimed at teenagers uh, yeah they just get destroyed but then you'll go and you'll find like brats being one of them like i will say i didn't love brats i watched it for the podcast but daisy and our guest billy for that episode had such a passion for it because they saw it when they were that age so yeah. to them it was like prime for them and there is such a passionate brats community and lovers of that film who are all of a similar age mm -hmm. but you read any review that came out when that film was made it was talking about how it was really over the top sexual it's not at all it's like so tame and how the acting's bad and how it's completely unrealistic and it's like yeah teenage girls want things that are unrealistic like yeah. me me girls is completely unrealistic those girls could walk around wearing those outfits talking the way they do in a school but the world loves me girls because it had a cutting biting script and it was from tina fey and we all respect tina fey but that doesn't mean that that gets to be the only teen film that yeah. sneaks under 
Um, but because, you know, at that time, the ones who were kind of creating the pantheon were white, middle-class, older men, middle-aged, like, God forbid a teenage girl wants to see a bit of fantasy in her teenage girl film. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Uh, so what would you say is the worst of the worst that you've covered, that you covered? Oh, probably a toss-up between um, Disaster Movie like mm. those kind of movies because yeah. they they're actually not the worst of the worst in terms of watching them but when you think about film as an art form when you think about film as a passion and you think about how many people are desperate to get into the film industry to have their stories told and then you see something like that but you there's no love in it and you can see the lack of love and you can see the lack of care that yeah. is hard to watch and it's hard to defend um because it, it is a cash grab it's it's a trailer extended to a full-length runtime um, and also like they're quite offensive obviously they were the humor of the time that they were made in but wow have we well really and also <laughs> those those movies they're they instead of being actual jokes they're just mm-hmm. look this is this a is reference like, to a joke yeah this yeah. is something you know this looks yeah. like it's it's a looks like movie yeah it looks yeah. like uh here this character looks like juno here yeah. this character looks like and that's not funny no no and especially then watching it back in this thing you're like i like half the time i'm having to text daisy or google like what was that a reference to like <laughs> no memory <laughs> Yeah. Um, so they're quite bad and then one um one the episode actually hasn't come out it's sat for me to edit um we have covered the dragon ball evolution movie that would that was a tough watch because that just looks bad it it looks visually bad um and i could it, it kind of you're wondering like why did the studio okay this and what happened to the budget and the script is nonsensical um and like i've looked we look we talk about it in the episode but we looked into it and like the script writer just kind of has put his hands up and said i didn't care i was there for the paycheck and things like that so it's, it's those kind of ones I'm well all... and that's especially frustrating when you, there's a like a passionate fan base yeah. that uh that and that often is sort of derided the anime yeah. community can be kind of and yeah. so when Hollywood's so lazy about providing, I'm so terrified about uh, this Your Name live action. Mm. I think it's going to be <laughs> terrible. And that if it is, it'll probably be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Because I absolutely love the original. I love uh, Your Name so much. The, the and... problem is those those remakes aren't made for people like you. Like yeah. I'm, I'm one of the few people that likes the live action Netflix Death Note because I had no knowledge of Death Note other than it was something that people liked and I would see the books at conventions. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know the concept. So I watched that film and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's so clever. I had yeah. an enjoyable time watching that movie. You're a passionate fan of that. That film's insulting because it's really diluted, really dumbed down. But it is for people like me because the studio doesn't yeah. care because they know you're going to go and see your name regardless because you love it. So they are making a film not for you. They're making a film that will entice someone like me who hasn't seen the source material to go, oh, yeah, I'll give that some money. Yeah. I'll go. Like they, they, I guess it's not going to be set in Japan. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's going, they're making instead of, the character being Japanese and having all the Japanese uh, uh, traditions that are mm-hmm. involved in the movie, 
uh, spiritual traditions, cultural traditions, they're making the character, at least this is all I've heard. I don't know if it'll end up being, but they're making the character Native American, which feels like weird to me. Like, Mm. uh, and I don't know. I'm just like, ooh, this has, this is probably going to be really, really bad. So I'm just like mentally preparing myself already, even though it's probably not going to come out for like two years. But uh, I just love that people sit in room and go, let's adapt this really popular source material. What's the first change we should make? The main character. No one cares about them. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I mean, that's definitely, obviously they are trying to make it as sort of streamlined as possible. But you know, one thing that's interesting, I thought about this many times is that, uh, is that rom- romantic comedies have a great track record of being remade. Mm-hmm. It is like, I think by far the most successful genre, whether yeah. it's like Father of the Bride. Like, I don't think there has actually been a bad Father of the Bride movie. Even this most recent one, I actually really enjoyed. Uh, mm. This last um, June, they had a, a new one. But uh, there's two from the 40s, which are really mm-hmm. fun. There's two from the 90s, which are really fun. And, and then this new one. Uh, and so, uh, and you've got, uh, the, you've got mail story that yeah. uh, you've got shop around the corner, mm-hmm. good old summertime. Uh, it, you've got mail. I mean, just whatever incantation of that story is, is, is going on. It works. It just works. And I don't know, it's interesting how, uh, a lot of, it just seems like the templates for romantic comedies work in remakes because if you stick to the formula the formula just the formula works and i think i think that with rom-coms the core element of the rom-com is the people the core element of of a rom-com is the 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 romance yeah so you as long as you have those core two character types with their core love you Mm -hmm. can change all of the wallpaper around it you can update it you can put it back in time as long as you keep what makes those characters spark mm-hmm. you can keep doing it and doing it it's like a star is born you know i know that's not necessarily a rom-com but it's a romance yeah and you know True. that's been done so many times because again the story isn't she's an up-and-coming star and this time the story is two people passing through lives and connecting for a brief moment in time so as long as you make sure that they do that it's going to work at any time period. It's going to work with any genre of music. Um, whereas I think, yeah, when you look at things like sci-fi films and fantasy films, there's too many elements that once you tweak one, they all have to be tweaked and then they all fall apart. Yeah, I think that's true. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or Hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. You had to watch, had to choose between watching a bad comedy and a, or a bad drama, which would you pick? Oh, a bad comedy. Because I, I actually, I prefer dramas. Drama would be like one of my favorite genres. But a bad drama is painful. Like a bad mm-hmm. drama, it's like, 
this is just bad this is poorly made or poorly written or poorly acted or whatever yeah. whatever the reason it's bad comedy at least you can roll your eyes and be like jesus christ what were they thinking and you know <laughs> attempt to have a laugh at the lack of laughs yeah yeah i i think i would probably agree uh mm. that that and also usually i have to say usually comedies are a lot shorter <laughs> so be, yes. you'd, you'd be in very less. yeah but uh but but yeah i mean i really disliked um uh the whale this mm. last year i don't know if you got to see that but it hasn't come out over here yet and i've not caught uh, an advanced copy i am I would... really tied on it because i love darren aronofsky but i've heard it's not actually very darren aronofsky as a film mm-hmm. and i'm also not purposely but anytime I watch a film that's been adapted from a play I just always come Mm. out and I've had a bad time and then I google and I'm like oh it was adapted from a play that's why I didn't like it so I'm very worried about my love or hate of the whale (laughs) well one of my least favorite genres or archetypes I guess you could say in film is the like sullen grumpy teenager Mm -hmm. I just find that most of the time even movies that other people really love I just uh that that have that kind of character most mm-hmm. of the time it just comes off as really one note and yeah. very like i i understand that it's hard being a teenager i remember being a teenager it was hard but I, they have like humanity like yeah. and and that's what frustrates me and the the teenager you know a lot of people are saying oh it's fat shaming or whatever about the whale mm-hmm. that didn't bother me as much as this teenage girl she really? was just one of the most unpleasant characters i had <gasps> ever seen in a movie she was absolutely terrible she's so cold she's so unfeeling to her father i mean really wanting him to just die and mm. and i get why she would be angry but uh but it's just too much it's mm-hmm. too much i mean i said the only thing that makes sense about this movie is if it's an origin story for a serial killer because <laughs> her character is so unfeeling to me and uh, I just hated her character so much. And oh, no. uh, yeah, yeah. And it's not Sadie Singh's fault. I mean, yeah. she, do- she does what's asked of her, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't know. Like <laughs> they deserve to be treated with some degree of like humanity. And mm-hmm. I, I watched, um, I wasn't a big fan of the first Star Girl movie on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. but I just watched the, the sequel called Hollywood Star Girl. And it was so good. And you finally have a teenager character that has some nuance, has some personality, mm-hmm. has some, like, she was just such a great, lovely, warm, compassionate human being. And I'm like, this is how it's finally like, yeah, how, I, how frustrating it must be to, for teens these days, they go to the movies and almost, almost every single teenage character is just miserable. Yeah and it's it's interesting um it just brought to mind the film 13 which is I love the film there's a lot of problematic issues with it but I still love it and um, and in part some of that film was written by the young teen stars that were in it and they mm-hmm. are miserable they're so miserable in that film and it's such a miserable film but you do you get to see their joy at the same time you see yeah. the, the complexity of being a teenage girl at the age of 13 they're in their room hysterically laughing having the best time but then one word just that one trigger word from the parent and then suddenly everything's the worst thing in the world but you get to see the full range yeah um, and I think that is partially because it was written with teen girls and written with consultation and you do wonder you know 
I know the way I was placed. I don't know the original playwright, but how much experience do they have with yeah. teen girls? Have they met a teen girl? <laughs> like, yeah. To me, Perks of Being a Wallflower is a great example mm, of how to do it right. Yeah. Uh, there were yeah. certainly uh, very serious, sullen moments in mm. uh, in that movie, of course, uh, with what happens. But mm-hmm. there were also like moments of hope and humanity. Yeah. And it felt like this is how my friendships were. Yeah. It felt as close as almost anything I've seen to yeah. kind of, I was a drama geek. And so I really related mm-hmm. to the characters and things. And, and, uh, and I, uh, I think that, 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 that kind of spirit or love Simon, I think is another mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. really. Captures yeah. Cause you see me. the highs and lows, yeah. like they, they, they're films where the character goes through things and they have really sad, traumatic things happen to them. But we also get to see them experience joy and not just at the beginning and at the end, like weave throughout, you can be going through a terrible yeah. period in your life and still have a good day and vice yeah. versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like in love Simon, he has like a good relationship with his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has, a, he, he has a pretty good relationship with his parents, like mm-hmm. is, that ebbs and flows through, uh, yeah. through the movie. Uh, and so I just wish that more were written like that as yeah. opposed to the way. Interestingly, both of them were adapted from books. So maybe yeah. we just need uh, more book adaptations. So yeah, yeah. hundreds of them. So maybe not. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about 2022 as a, a year for movies? How do you feel? I felt fine about it would be the word. I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell. I think it's a mixture for me of taking that step back from the festival circuit and things like that. I just saw a lot less than in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think we were blessed especially in 2021 with so much of that COVID backlog suddenly being available to us so we suddenly had all of these films whereas now there's so many films that I've watched where I can tell they were filmed in COVID and they're not set in COVID times and they don't mention COVID but I'm like Mm -hmm. why is this scene randomly outdoors and why are all of these scenes randomly outdoors and why is there never anyone else in the room with these two people do they not have any other friends and it's really affecting me you could even tell that with some of the like the marvel love uh thor Mm. love and thunder you could tell Mm. you could see COVID in that movie a lot because you could tell that people weren't in the same room when they were shooting things there's all this distance all this stuff that you could just tell that oh they had to shoot this separately because of it felt so small just even in the sets like i've I've never known a marvel movie to feel tiny but it it Mm -hmm. felt small the rooms felt small and the people felt small yeah Yeah, that that was a rough one (laughs) yeah Yeah, i i 2022 was uh, a, a disappointing year for me when it comes to particularly like the Oscar screeners to mm-hmm. the to the uh, Academy movies like I, I hated the whale there were a mm-hmm. lot of movies that other people just loved that I did not love I didn't love uh, the, the Fablemans I wasn't a fan mm. uh, which a lot of people loved I uh, I didn't like the glass onion which a lot of people loved that also felt that- very covid that felt so covid at least it was kind of set in covid but yeah it just considering the first film was kind of set in a house with just one cast there yeah. was a difference and I, I can't pinpoint what the difference was but it was a completely different atmosphere and yeah. i i put up i didn't even say that i didn't like it because i did like it i just didn't love it but i just put up that i felt like 
Anna de Armas was the best thing about the first one and I felt I missed her presence or the presence mm. of a similar type of character. Oh my God, the people came for me. You are not allowed to criticise Glass Onion. <laughs> yeah, there's a strong Ryan Johnson eye. Uh, I, I like Ryan Johnson. I was like, guys, I just, <laughs> oh my God, I just didn't I think didn't. it was five stars. <laughs> I, I really disliked it. I thought it was really boring and I thought it was really exposition heavy. Every mm-hmm. scene was just characters yeah. talking, talking and not yeah. interesting. And I, I, I just, I also thought it was really weird that they didn't have Daniel Craig really uh, Blanc solve Solve anything. Yeah. 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 He, I I kind of, I felt like, is he, uh, uh, he separated from a lot of the cast most of the time. I'm Mm. like, I kind of wondered if maybe they didn't have him very long. They only was it James Bond issue? Though I feel like maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he was promoting Bond. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but. I, I just thought that was so weird to have your detective not solve the case. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I just really thought it was a miss. Um, I also didn't enjoy the um, 3,000 3, years of longing. Mm. I I thought I was really looking forward to it, but that's another mm. one that basically feels COVID-y. Like they're just yeah. sort of in this hotel room the whole time, like telling yeah. this story. But, but every single story was about slavery which I thought oh. was so weird. Yeah. Like every, uh, like, and even the Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba relationship is one of slavery. Yeah. He's a genie. He's a genie, yeah. So I thought that was so strange. And I don't know, I didn't get it. It was weird. Mm. See, that got, I think, because we kept, we get filmed so much later. It's infuriating, which again, during the pandemic, we were getting things at the same time as America. And now we've yeah. gone back to the, you guys can wait for some unbeknownst reason. But, 3,000 Years of Longing didn't get the greatest reception over in the States, so it barely got any release over here. It kind of got kind of thrown in, dumped week, mm-hmm. maybe two weeks, and then yeah. disappeared, Um, which okay. sometimes can suck because even though, like, American critics might not enjoy a film, I still might want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the question. Why is it impossible to make a good Jurassic Park movie? <laughs> That's <a strange laughs> So I I really like Jurassic World uh-huh. and I really enjoyed parts of the second one. I can't remember what it's called. Lost Ki- no, Lost Kingdom's the second Fallen Jurassic Kingdom, Park. I think. Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Um I had great fun with it. Like blew the raptor, jumped out of an explosion and uh, did she wink at the screen? I don't think so, but she might have well as. And I was like this is nonsensical and I bloody love it and um, it was like a very fun watch in the cinema movie I've uh-huh. never had any desire to rewatch it though yeah. I, I like had the whereas I have rewatched the first Jurassic World and um, I actually taught that when we were doing science fiction movies we showed it as an example of a modern science fiction movie because it had a great advertising campaign so we kind uh-huh. of did it as a case study um I they think all first, do. they all make me oh maybe this will be the one that I'll yeah. really love because I love the original Jurassic Park mm-hmm. it is one of my all-time favorite movies and it was very influential for me as far as my yeah. movie fandom uh the first time I, it's the movie I've seen the most in theaters mm-hmm. is Jurassic mm-hmm. Park I went over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again uh and so it's just so frustrating and the the sequel Jurassic Park uh, sequel was one of the most disappointing movies of my whole life. Mm. I was so excited for it. And it just, yeah. I, like in retrospect, I'm like, oh, it does have some good things about it. But at the time I was what you want. so disappointed. Yeah. That because uh, Tay Leone is so annoying in that 
<laughs> See, I've never, because of the kind of um, history of it not being good, I've never got around to it. Uh, um, yeah. Whereas, yeah, like, I enjoyed the first Jurassic World. Like, I really enjoyed the first Jurassic World. I love Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic World. I had fun with the second Jurassic World, but no interest. But the reviews from the one that came out in 2022 was so poor that me, who loves the first one and loved loved watching the second one, I didn't go. It it didn't help that everyone told me there's no dinosaurs and it's all about giant bugs or locusts or something. And I have a really extreme bug phobia. So I was like, I was like, if it's not even meant to be very good, like if everyone was like, it's really good fun and it's like silly. And even if people like it's bad, but it's fun, I might have tried to overcome it. But people were like, it's a bad film. And also it's about locusts. I was like, okay, no, thank you, sir. Yeah, it it is about locusts. It was bonkers, like, like and not in the fun it's way. It's a dinosaur like, movie. You have the opportunity to make a movie about dinosaurs in like cities going around, yeah. like people. Like, there's so much there, and mm. you spend an hour at least of the movie with them in this like facility, uh, like where they're doing research on locusts. It was bizarre. But I really I want in like 10 years time someone to have written a book and I hope someone out there already is investigating Mm -hmm. this book because I'm sure they are of films like Jurassic World of films like Doctor Strange and all of these big movies and I want to know what was the original what did it turn into and what the hell happened in the middle (laughs) there because it must be fascinating like Marvel is floundering and 50% of that is because they blew up too big and they don't know what they're doing and they're trying to do too much. But 50% of it is COVID and COVID destroyed them and they they had a formula that worked and COVID jotted that and they don't know what to do now. Also with Marvel, I think the problem is is that Disney became too reliant on them Mm -hmm. for for because everything else that Disney has made isn't working. Isn't working. Like this, uh, like Strange World was not good. I I did not see a single advertisement for that movie to the point that when I saw a poster for it, I thought it was a made up movie. (laughs) I never, I I go to the cinema quite a lot because I enjoy films. I never once saw a trailer for that film. And I genuinely to this day forget it even exists. I'm like, that isn't a real movie. That that's not, that doesn't exist. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. I mean, they just, they're just not in a good spot disney yeah. and i think that they were relying on marvel for not only like successful movies but mm-hmm. for you know the, their box office success yeah. uh- today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by w rated the podcast where we willingly watch the world's worst rated movies join me daisy and me claire as we break down the imdb bottom 100 choosing a different film from the list every episode we take a deep dive into the plot production release and reviews usually with a special guest to uncover if these films are truly as bad as everyone says they are you can find us on spotify apple good pods and anywhere else you find your podcasts Uh, and they've still been very successful, but, uh, but I think that that's, that's part of the problem. And, uh, they, I mean, pretty much the only thing in, on Disney plus that people are, uh, really that's working for people is, is these, you know, is Marvel. And so then yeah. they just went crazy. And mm-hmm. like, I, I 
kept up with the the Marvel for quite a long time mm-hmm. and just there were just too many shows I just couldn't yep. watch them all there's no way I don't have time I watched all of them but to varying happinesses and <laughs> um, some some of them are like one division oh my god I adore one division I've yeah, watched it through really multiple times but like Elizabeth Olsen is one of my favorite actresses. Wanda's my favorite character in the whole thing, and it's about like the history of TV. I was like, Jesus Christ! Like, it's like someone yeah. opened my brain. <laughs> Whereas Moon Knight, I was like, What is happening in this show? What did What did we do to Oscar Isaacs? Why yeah, we made Oscar Isaacs two... a bad actor? I watched the first two episodes, and I just I was yeah. just too busy. I don't know. I just yeah. don't. Have... I'm busy and there watching. Was no... it's like they were holding out the oh but you'll see this reference and that will make you want to watch the next episode it's like no actually interesting character and you know tension and drama makes me want to watch the next episode yeah it's just a different uh beast you know Mm -hmm. making series than uh yeah then yeah uh, they don't know how to transfer it they've they've Mm -hmm. really struggled but yeah i just i would love to see a kind of expose of what COVID did to these massive, massive mainstream movies like yeah, Jurassic be World, because I can't imagine that was the film they set out to make before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the most recent version of Persuasion? No, I've actually never seen any versions of Persuasion. Oh. But is that the one with so Dakota Johnson, yes. where she's like trying to be fleabag and everyone said it's like really insulting to the source material yeah so bad they have because I mean, Anne Elliott is it was a chance for them to tell a story about a more introverted heroine who is a little bit shy a little bit you know and uh and they make her she's like a wine drunk she's like pouring wine on her head oh, at a gosh. certain point she's like really flippant and rude mm. and she's breaking the fourth wall it was bad yeah. it was bad uh so yeah it was interesting (laughs) but i i i was frustrated because i felt like i was just in watching the oscar screeners it was just like one disappointment after another yeah and i was just not enjoying uh them for the most Mm -hmm. part uh but then i would find one like i absolutely loved the um uh puss in boots the last wish i'm so desperate to see it i'm so (laughs) angry like we've nominated it for baftas but it's not out for another month and a half i'm like this is so unfair yeah it's so exciting when you see something that like they had not that many pieces to work with and look Mm -hmm. what they did like this movie should not have been this good they and they did it and they made it it was so exciting uh because like i said especially because i'm just like watching an oscar screener oscar mm-hmm. screener and i get the link and i'm like oh, here we go again know, <laughs> you know and uh and uh and then i was just blown away which was yeah. so exciting so i i rewatched all of the shrek films earlier in the year for um the binge movies podcast so we oh, yeah. did shrek two three and four and then we did Puss in Boots and then we both I I remember loving Puss in Boots when it first came out but I hadn't revisited it whereas I revisit Shrek one and two all the time the three and four Um, third I hate it's so bad the third is bad film um just hands down appalling film (laughs) (laughs) but um we were both so impressed with Puss in Boots because the the first Puss in Boots takes loads of like really stylistic filmmaking choices like it's directed like it's not 
a cartoon about a cat and just watching the trailer for the new one mm-hmm. I can already sense like they've taken kind of interesting choices with the style of animation and I feel like they're going to take interesting choices with the style of direction so I've loved hearing the positive praise it's been getting yeah. so far and I'm just I'm desperately waiting if yeah, anyone uh... in Ireland would like to invite <laughs> me to the press screening yes. I'm here I'm likely to give it a glowing review <laughs> we need to make it happen but yeah, most most of the movies that I loved from 2022, I saw earlier in the year, mm-hmm. uh, like RRR. Um, mm-hmm. I loved a movie called Hit the Road, uh, mm-hmm. an Iranian film. It was so good. I loved Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Still refusing to even give us a release date for that over here. That's insane. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I I really enjoyed Top Gun Maverick. I, I I loved that despite myself. I yeah. like waited. I was like, I'm not going to go and see it. I don't really even <laughs> like the first one. Don't right. like kind of like army type movies. And I'm not a big fan of Tom Cruise. And then just everyone kept being like, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I went and I literally remember sitting and saying, like, God damn it, it is good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, but yeah, pretty much the only fall uh, Oscar contender movies that I liked. I liked Avatar, The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. I liked the Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, I really enjoyed um, Decision to Leave. I thought that was- I loved really Decision to Leave. That was like top three of the year for me. Yeah. I thought it was stunningly directed and like such an amazing kind of romance, partnership, love story, whatever. It's kind of not sure what to call that, what goes on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, done with so little words. Like it was just, you know, the- the look of the camera and the use of the phones just stunning filmmaking and yeah it's definitely the most beautifully made mm-hmm. movie and I thought the mm-hmm. performances were both excellent I I yeah. uh, and it yeah. really it felt like a new version of Double Indemnity mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a really good film as well but this idea of the sort of toxic love yeah um, and I yeah. kept me guessing I really didn't know what was what was happening I had no you idea know? how it would end and yeah. I did not see it ending the way it did and I was devastated and so impressed mm. and just it felt yeah like considering it takes a lot from other like noirs of the past it still felt completely fresh and completely original yeah yeah big fan well, of that movie so before we go uh would you say that you are optimistic about the state of film or are, are a bit more cynical because i think there is room to be optimistic in the sense that like so many different people can tell their stories now mm-hmm. there's so many outlets to get your film produced made uh whatever it might be it feels like there's a streaming service for every single different interest yeah. uh person ethnic group every every, anything there's a streaming service for you and so in that sense it's kind of exciting I feel like voices are able to find platforms they're able we're able to see these movies but uh but uh on the other hand obviously concerned about cinemas having been closed for you know all that time Mm -hmm. and can they recover uh as far as the big screen and the spectacle and everything like that you know like I so I I have mixed feelings how do do you feel absolutely like very similar like I think 
it's really there's so much good and for someone like me I am childless and I live in a large city so I have so many art house cinemas available to me I have disposable income available to me and I have time available to me so I can go to the IFI or I can go to this lovely uh, cinema called the lighthouse and I can see these smaller independent films that don't get as much of a run and I get to see these amazing stories that I would never have seen years ago because they weren't being made and we didn't have the options of these wonderful independent cinemas but on the flip side of that they only really exist in cities and they're expensive and their timings are usually like eight nine o'clock at night and if you're working or you have kids you don't have those options so for the kind of average person you've had more access than ever to film but you have so much less access to choice because again like yeah there's so many streaming services and it's amazing but I only have so much money so I I love a a good horror film and I love watching horror films at Halloween and like sometimes I'm really in the mood for horror but over here we have Shudder but I don't love horror enough to pay for a horror only subscription service right but when I look at Netflix, Amazon, um, we have now, we have Disney. There's so few horror films on there now because they've all gone to Shudder because that's where horror films live. But if you're a casual horror fan, I'm like, where's where's my casual horror gone? What what, what can yeah. I watch? Um, so it's like we're giving it, we're giving ourselves so much more access and so much more choice, but the choice has never been harder to access. Mm-hmm. It, it's I also, I also feel like in the past where you would kind of, it was easier to stumble upon Mm -hmm. um, something uh, that was great uh, because you would just go to the blockbuster and usually the thing that you wanted to see wasn't there. And, uh, and so you would, oh, well, let's watch this instead. And that never happens anymore because it's there. You can just rent it, you know, on streaming. Uh, yeah. it's always there what you want to watch and so like find stumbling upon something yeah. uh, I mean that's why I kind of like doing weird sort of projects like mm-hmm. for instance uh, we my friend Stanford and I will watch like all the Disney movies from a particular year and we'll rank mm-hmm. them uh, and we do those episodes like we just did 2022 and mm-hmm. so it forced me to watch uh, some movies on Hulu that I mm-hmm. had missed that were actually kind of fun and uh, one called Rosalind that I liked quite a bit that was um, and that's like a really interesting like taking an old story giving it a new twist to having set in the olden times but modern like that did it really well yeah. and so in, but unless you're doing a project like that it's mm-hmm. it's harder to kind of stumble upon yeah uh, a movie like that that uh that you have to go you have to really work to find yeah. those things and you have yeah it, and so and i i think the average person isn't you know really doing that unless you're like a particular fan of the I and mean, there's yeah. just so much content that like yeah. you you it's harder to have that kind of happy accident I feel like now uh, absolutely and like I know like my mom would she doesn't get that much time to watch films but if she does have time to watch a film she wants to make sure she watches something that she's going to enjoy and mm-hmm. she'll like talk to me she loves seeing like what have you been to see at the cinema what have you reviewed recently and yeah. I'll like get and like when I would do like film festivals she'd like make a list of all the films that I loved and then she'd be like, and how would I watch that? Is that at the cinema? And I'm like, no, that's on Apple TV Plus. Right, do I have that? No, you have Netflix. Okay. And then the next one, what's that on? Only available on VOD. Yeah. Can I get me? And it's so, it's it's tougher than ever because she's like, I already have all of these services that I don't watch. Why am I going to have more? Um, 
and yeah and so then you miss out on amazing films and it, it's great that they're getting these mega checks from places but I don't know I, I I'm not a filmmaker I don't know where the line is between well I'll get this big fat check but only a very small amount of people are ever going to see it on this that streaming service or yeah. I take the chance at a theatrical run and it's going to connect with audiences all over the world, but I'm going to make no money. And I, I don't yeah. know where that is as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, everything everywhere all at once. They took mm-hmm. that risk. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I guess if you're lucky, you have a 24, you know, distributor like Come that out. behind you yeah. that can help you take that risk. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. that, it's interesting. But I also think they, they, those guys are very lucky. They obviously worked with some talented actors before, but they had Michelle Yeoh and I think if there was a different actress in that film then they wouldn't have had the opportunities that they had because she's such a champion of the arts and she's so well respected in the industry and she's a recognizable name that I think you put a lesser known actor in that spot that film would never have got and it deserves everything it's got but it wouldn't have got there and it's just it's a tick box exercise and you can't tick all the boxes anymore well and there's always just the uh the, the you never know there's always that uh um I don't know it's just a risk like you'll have yeah. there's so many of course films that I think oh that I, I like I was surprised even though I didn't love she said I didn't think it was mm-hmm. great I was surprised it did so badly I I thought when I watched it I thought this is made to be very crowd pleasing yeah and I, I think like it's supposed to be it's made to be this like inspirational like Mm -hmm. you know kind of a very mainstream movie and I think it wasn't really sold that way it was sold as this kind of hard-hitting drama Mm -hmm. which it is I mean I didn't enjoy it that much but um but anyway I was so sometimes it's I mean I'm glad I'm not the one making those decisions because I would get it wrong because I thought that oh this is going to be a this is going to do very well at the box office and it didn't yeah I was really surprised I actually saw that this week and I loved it if Mm -hmm. I had seen that before the turn of the year that would have been in my top five of the year if not maybe like top one or two Mm -hmm. um I I cried I found it so moving I found it really I don't know what it just really connected with me um and I I just loved it and it it helps I'm a huge fan of Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan so having both of them together Mm -hmm. brilliant and it was what it was one of my most anticipated movies of last year but it was marketed so poorly and then received yeah. so poorly that I just never went to see it, which is terrible. Yeah. And I've seen it now and I'm like, damn it, like, why did why did I listen to the bad press and I should have gone and seen it? But there is an element now of people don't know how to market the films anymore. And I think there's a real marketing yeah, crisis in Hollywood right yeah. now. Yeah, in movies that you think that like um, West Side Story or something, you know, that mm. just do terrible and you're thinking, yeah. wow. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you let a film like West Side Story directed by Steven Spielberg flop, but somehow they did. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk with us. This was so much fun. Thank you for having <laughs> really me, letting me ramble. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so if people want to follow you on socials and your podcast and everything, how can they do that? Yep. So you can find me at Claire Ellen Hope. Uh, Claire has no I um, on Facebook, oh, not on Facebook. I am on Facebook somewhere. Though. Um, I actually work for Facebook. Oh, <laughs> so really? I, sh- I should really champion that a bit more. <laughs> um, you can find me there on Twitter and Instagram. Um, 
we also own Instagram, so it's fine. Um, and then uh, I think I'm the same on Letterboxd. Um, you can find the podcast, it's W Rated Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and it's on most podcast platforms. We have had, again, an impromptu break, but we are in consultation. We will be back soon. Um, we've got two already in the bank. I'm just holding them to my chest until we're ready to let them loose. Um, but we can't wait to come back. Um, we every year cover the Razzies so I kind of feel like we're going to come back with a Razzie boom um, and yeah you can watch us suffer as we attempt to watch every single film nominated for a Razzie and try and find the merit in them <laughs> <laughs> that would be really good well I I should have I wish I'd known that you work for Facebook because I just recently uh, just yesterday finally got my Facebook back it was disabled in November Oh and there was nothing I could do about it. I, I tried everything to get some kind of contact. It was so stressful, but finally one of my friends, her cousin works for Facebook uh. and she <laughs> saved the day. I, I thought it was just going to be gone. I mean, it took oh. two months. It was, it was mm. very stressful, but nevertheless, oh, so my sorry. Facebook is up. It's so Yay! exciting Yay! <laughs> back after two months. But, uh, but yeah, and, I'm sorry, uh, we're having too many Christmas parties. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, uh, you it, and everybody, make sure that you listen to all our female film critics panel episodes. Really fun. I'll put the playlist in the description. You should check it out. And uh, you can find me all over social media, Rachel's Reviews, uh, even now again on Facebook. So it's very exciting. <laughs> and also at the Hallmarkies podcast, I have a lot of fun stuff going on there. And so check that out. And uh, we also have patron group and merch store. Check that out. And uh, thank you so much, Claire. This was so thank much fun. You. It was lovely. Thank <laughs> we'll, you so much. We'll definitely have to do it again. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Let us know your comments and all the things we talked about. We'd love to hear in the comments and uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.